Praise the Lord. Man, that's great. Thanks to everybody who came tonight. I'm sorry that you're sitting on the floor. Uh, boy, my bottom would be tired after if I, if I was doing that. But Next time we will do better. We had no idea. Susan asked us what size place to get, and I said, I don't know. I've never ministered in Canada. I had no idea if anybody would show up. So <laughs> this, is, this is very exciting, and uh, I have to tell you when I'm excited because I'm always like this. I never change. <laughs> but I am very excited, I'm telling you. And uh, <laughs> God... I had one guy write in and say, you know, you are as plain as dirt. And he said, I watched you for years. I, I saw, he saw me on TV and he just passed by because he thought this guy couldn't be anointed. He couldn't have anything to say. And then one day he got to listening. I had a woman one time wrote in and said she always flipped the dial when my program came on, but she was shelling peas and she couldn't get to the remote. And she just had to watch me. And once she heard, it's the word that sets people free. It's, it's, uh, you know, I'm not flashy like a lot of people, but I tell you, the word of God has revolutionized my life. And that's what I want to do tonight is just to share with you some things that has totally changed me. And, and in a way, this could be a real encouragement to a lot of you because I am playing as dirt and God doesn't use me because of anything special in me. It's the Word of God that has changed my life. It's the Word that has made everything work. And so it doesn't matter if you feel like you aren't the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know what? The Word of God can work for you and change your life just like it has for me. Let's look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is dangerous in a sense because I've never ministered here, so all of my stories are new and all of my stuff is new. I could talk forever. <laughs> but I'm going to try and make this very brief. And I want to encourage you to please get the materials that are out there because I'll be talking, I'll be touching on at least 10 or 15 of the major things that God has shown me tonight. And, and you could go and get a lot more detail and a lot more ministry on these things back there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, with Peter today on Grace Television, I was talking about a few of these things, but this is the revelation that changed my life. I had, I got born again when I was eight years old. I was genuinely saved because the very next day in school, my friends could tell I was different and they asked me what happened to me and I told them and they made fun of me for being a Christian. In, uh, at eight years of age, I was different. And if I would have died, I'd have gone to heaven. But I became a Pharisee. I didn't mean to. It just happened. I was in church and, and you know, like when I told you, when my dad died, I, I don't know if it was spoken to me this way or if it's just the way I figured it out on my own, but I figured the reason that God didn't heal my dad was because I wasn't strong enough. I didn't have enough faith. I wasn't holy enough. If I would have been more then I could have seen things happen. And so I just committed myself to serving God. And I've never gone away from God. I've served God my whole life. But I got to thinking that I had to earn God's blessing in my life, that He was going to move in my life if I would pray enough, if I would be holy enough, if I'd study the Word and do all of these things. So I, I did all of these things. I mean, I have lived a super holy life. You know, I just turned uh, 63 in April. And, uh, 
I have never said a cuss word in all of my life. I've never taken a drink of liquor in all of my 63 years. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted coffee. It's true. (laughs) I know some of you are thinking coffee. Are you saying that coffee and booze are the same thing? No, you got a scripture to stand on for coffee. The Bible says that you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you, amen. (laughs) I'm just saying I lived a super holy life. I was really separated, but I got to trusting in my own goodness. And that was not right. And as a result, when I was 18 years old, it's a very long story, but I had an encounter with God where right in the midst of all my arrogance and pride and self-righteousness and thinking I was better than everybody else, God showed up. And I don't know how to describe this, but it's like God pulled a curtain back. I, I didn't see the Lord with my physical eyes, but I was in the presence of God. And in the Bible, every time a person got in the presence of God, man, they would immediately fall on their face. Like Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Peter pulled his coat around him and threw himself into the water because he felt uh, naked before the Lord. And every time a, a person who is, is really impressed with themselves is a person that's never been in the presence of God. If you ever really get in the presence of God, it'll do something to your ego. It will set some things straight. And I got caught up in the presence of God, and the Lord just showed me what a religious hypocrite I was, and I honestly thought that God was going to kill me. Some of you may think I'm exaggerating that, but I was told that God's the one that killed my dad when I was 12 years old, that God's the one that judged people, that God sovereignly controlled whatever happened in your life. And when I saw how ungodly, and I really saw that the sin of self-righteousness, I believe is worse than homosexuality, murder, adultery, anything. Because that means that you're saying Jesus isn't enough. God loves me because of who I am. And when I saw how self-righteous I was, I was afraid that God was going to kill me that night. And I just, man, I repented. I repented of things and like my actions weren't that bad. I didn't have, you know, uh, getting drunk and going out and committing adultery and things like this to confess. But the Bible says that if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you get angry without a cause, it's like murder. And so I began to confess my attitudes, things that I didn't even know I had wrong until I was in the presence of God. And I confessed all of the thoughts and the lust in front of the pastors of the church and my best friends. Whatever reputation I had, I just totally ruined it. But I was thinking that God was going to kill me. And right before He killed me, I was going to confess everything I'd done wrong so that hopefully I'd go to heaven instead of to hell. And after I had spent an hour and a half just turning myself inside out and repenting of my self-righteousness... Uh, I had nothing left to say. I confessed everything. You know, this is... I, you probably won't understand what I'm saying, but I'm going to say this anyway. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will help you. But you know, before that time, I used to rededicate my life every time we had a service. Every time they gave an altar call, I was down there repenting of not being good enough and doing something wrong. And I constantly rededicated my life to God. If I'd have had a rededicator, I'd have broken mine. I'd have worn it out. 
But after that time, and I gave myself over to the Lord, I have never in 50, what was, I don't know, that's a long time, however long that is, 44 years, I have never rededicated my life to the Lord because I gave it all to Him on March the 23rd, 1968. Now that doesn't mean I've been perfect and I've done it right, but I mean I made the commitment, I failed in my commitment, but I have never failed in my desire to be committed to God. And I have never had to rededicate myself once. People, you know, if you look up the word rededicate in the Bible, it's not there. If you look it up in a dictionary, it's not there. There is no such word. If something is truly dedicated, it can't become undedicated. If you've become undedicated, it's because you didn't make a full dedication commitment in the first place. And anyway, my point is, I just gave everything I had to the Lord. I had nothing left to give, nothing else to confess, repent of. I was just laying in a heap on the floor and waiting on God to kill me or do whatever He was going to do. And instead of wrath, the love of God came over me in a tangible way. And for four and a half months, I was caught up in the presence of God. I was just gone someplace. It was awesome. But you know what? It, it nearly ruined my life. Because after experiencing that, I didn't know how to go back to being normal. And uh, God doesn't want you to live on just an emotional level. I could get off and teach on that. I've got some great teaching on harnessing your emotions and stuff that would explain that. But the Lord didn't want me to live on that level. I've, had, I've given this testimony before and I've had people come up and say, Could you please pray for me that I'd have an experience like that? No, you don't need an experience like that. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you. Matter of fact, I spent nearly 18 months asking God to kill me after the emotion of that wore off. Not because of I was miserable, but because I had tasted a relationship with God that was so superior to anything I'd ever heard anybody else talk about that I didn't know how to go back to just being normal. And I figured that the only way that I could ever really experience that was just to die and go to be with the Lord. And then I nearly died twice in one day over in Vietnam. And I found out I wasn't quite as excited about dying as I thought I was. And I just decided, man, I better do something. And I started studying the Word. And these verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 just exploded on the inside of me. And this is what changed my life. This is really powerful. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I know that this is a verse that many of us have heard, and it may not, you may not feel like, well, this hasn't changed my life. But here's what this did for me. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is, not is going to be or is in the process of, but he is, right this moment, a new creature. One of the translations says a new species of being that never existed before. And I was looking at my life and I thought, God, I'm not like this. And I was just trying to be honest. You know, if you would be honest when you study the scriptures, you'd get some awesome revelation. But a lot of times people just read the Bible and if, if their life doesn't match up, they just let, let it go and go on. But you ought to sit there and if the Bible says something, you ought to look at your life and says, is this the way that it is? You ought to try and understand what's going on. And I was just honest with the Lord and I said, God, my life isn't completely new. Old things haven't passed away. 
I still had some of the same lust, some of the same desires, some of the same problems, even after I got born again when I was eight and it was genuine. But then even after this miraculous experience, I still had problems. And I was saying, God, old things aren't new. Everything's not changed. And I just got to really asking the Lord, How do, what does this mean? Am I not saved? And yet I knew I was born again. I had the assurance. I knew that I was saved. And yet everything in my life wasn't changed. And anyway, I'm going to try and condense this. I could give a lot more explanation for it, but I pray that the Holy Spirit just helps you to get this. But here's the thing that changed my life. Over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he prayed a prayer and he said, I pray God would preserve you holy. Spirit, soul, and body would be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And... This just exploded on the inside of me that I am three parts, a spirit, soul, and body. The body part is obvious. That's the part of me that you're looking at. Every one of us has a body. Your soul part is what the Bible calls, what most of us would refer to as our personality or our inner person. It's the part of you that feels things. Like I could come up and touch your physical body and you could feel me touch you, but I can touch you by words. I could be on the telephone and I could say something that would make you happy or mad and things like that. And so you have an inner part that you can feel things. And functionally, most people only acknowledge two parts to them. You know you have a physical body. You see that in the mirror. That's the part of you that feels pain and things like this. And then you have an inner part, your emotions that gets hurt and things like this. And all of us are in touch with the body and with the soul. But functionally, most people don't believe they have a spirit. Matter of fact, if you look the word spirit up in Greek, in one of the uh, Greek concordances, like uh, Strong's Concordance, he defines spirit, pneuma, the Greek word, he defines it as the immortal soul. And that is incorrect. They use soul and spirit interchangeably and say it's the same thing. It's not. The Bible very clearly says you have a spirit, soul, and body. They are not the same thing. And so most people only acknowledge two parts to them. Like for instance, if I was to ask you right now, are you hot or are you cold? You don't have to come back to me and say, well, let me pray about it and I'll tell you tomorrow. (laughs) You just instantly know if you're hot or you're cold. Are you tired or not? See, you instantly or constantly pull an inventory on yourself and you're in touch with your physical body. And if I was to ask about your soulish realm and say, are you happy or sad? Are you encouraged or discouraged? You don't have to pray about it and come back and tell me tomorrow. You know instantly, you are constantly monitoring your soul and your body, whether it's hot, whether there's pain or any of these kind of things. But the spirit man cannot be felt. You can't feel it. You can't see it. When you go look in a mirror, you can't see your spirit. You can only see your physical body. And in your emotions, you cannot feel the spirit. That needs some explanation, which I'm not going to take time to do because people will often say things like, oh, don't you feel the spirit of God? But anyway, that's technically you can't feel the spirit of God. Uh, I'm not going to explain that. But... (laughs) Jesus said it this way, John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The only way you know what's going on in the spirit is to take the word of God. And it also says this over in James chapter 1, 
that when you look into the perfect law of liberty, it's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And so the Word of God is a spiritual mirror. If you want to see if your hair's combed, you can't go by how you feel. You just go look in a mirror and you trust what you see. But you aren't really seeing yourself. You're seeing a reflection of yourself. And you've gotten to where you trust that reflection. I don't know if you've thought about this, but you know what? When you hold up your right hand in a mirror, it's your left hand. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, this is the truth. You know, when you're on television, this is one of the things that really gets confusing because you'll have a monitor and you hold up your right hand, but on television, it's over here. It's on your right, it's your right hand, but on a, a mirror image, it would be over here. It's totally opposite. So when we do things in television, they'll say, you got something on your, on your left shoulder. People don't know if that's talking about a left shoulder in actuality or a mirror image. I may have got just lost you there. But anyway, my point is that, see, when you see something in the mirror, you have adjusted to where if, you, if it's on this side of your face in the mirror, well, then you would reach up and, and touch here. But if it was an actual image, then it would be on the other side. Not sure you got that. My point is what you're seeing in a mirror isn't accurate. But it is a representation and you can tell me what you look like because you can see yourself in a mirror. And you can also tell me what your personality is like and whether you're an encouraged person or a discouraged person and things like that because you're in touch with your soulish realm. But your spirit, you can't know other than to hold up the spiritual mirror and find out what it says. You cannot feel your spirit. You can't see your spirit. And so because it's not... uh, Since you can't contact your spirit through one of the five senses, most of us are totally ignorant about who we are in Christ and what we have in the spirit. And most people feel, they they say, but I'm discouraged. And I'm just trying to be honest with God. You know, I'm not one of these faith guys that just fake it till I make it. I'm just being honest and telling you that I'm discouraged. I hurt and this is the way it is and I'm just being honest with you. What you're really being is carnal. (laughs) That usually goes over about like that. (laughs) Most people think, what? Some people think carnal is, you know, sinful or demonic or terrible. But the word carnal just means of the five senses is what the word carnal means. Actually, if you look it up, it's the word sarx, S-A-R-X, and it means the flesh as stripped of skin. That's what the word carnal means. It's talking about meat. You know, we get the word chili con carne. The word carny comes from the word sarks, and it means meat, chili with meat, chili con carne. That's what the word carnal means. It's just referring to meat. When you say somebody's a carnally minded person, you're calling them a meathead. <laughs> so you know what? When, when you are sitting here saying, but here's how I feel. I don't care what anybody says or anything. I'm just being honest. I'm telling you how I feel. What you are doing is being carnal. You are being dominated and controlled by your five senses. But what I begin to learn is that when you get born again, you become a new person in Christ Jesus. Old things have already passed away. All things have already become new. 
You aren't in the process of changing in your spirit. In your spirit, the moment you get born again, you are as perfect as Jesus is. You have his power and his ability. This was a total revelation to me. And it totally changed everything in my life. For one thing, the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It didn't say you should. This is the best way to do it. You get better results if you do it this way. It says you must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does in spirit mean? Well, some people think it means you just turn the music up louder and you're in spirit. Or it depends on, you know, the, uh, the liturgy and whether or not you have your collar turned around backwards. And we have all kinds of natural things that we consider things that make you spiritual. But in spirit just means you worship God, you contact Him based on who you are in your spirit and not in your flesh. And when I saw this, it totally changed my life because I had had this experience where I felt God in a physical, tangible way and I was trying to get something back to where I could just relate to God in the natural realm, where I could feel His presence. And the Lord was saying, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. And in my spirit, man, I'm always in contact with God. In my spirit, man, I already have all of the faith that I could possibly get. I've already got love and joy and peace. People say, how do you know that? Because these are all scriptures. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. God has already done this. When you're depressed and you're saying, Oh God, please touch me and just help me to feel your presence. You're carnal. You're in the flesh. You're in the natural. You don't feel His presence out here and so you feel like God has deserted you. We come into churches and people will say things like, what well, God wasn't within a hundred miles of that place. Why? Because nobody jumped a pew. Nobody shouted hallelujah. Nobody was healed. Nobody came forward for salvation or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You didn't see or feel something. And since there wasn't any physical, tangible way of discerning God's presence, people just say God wasn't there. Or they'll come in and they'll pray and they'll say, God, we ask you to come and be with us today. That's a stupid prayer. That's a carnal prayer. People think, well, what's wrong with that? The Bible says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. See, you aren't going by what the Word, by what the Spirit says. You're going by how your feelings are. Since you didn't feel something special, then you think that God wasn't there. That's carnal. Man, this set me free. It helped me to quit being carnal, to look for feeling God in some tangible way. Now let me just, I'm going to say this quickly and go on with my point, but I just want to say this, that once you get to where you're spiritually minded and start really perceiving who God is and you do it by faith based on what the Word says and not your feelings, did you know what? You actually get more feelings than you ever had before. Amen. Once you really get into faith and start basing your life on what God says about you instead of how you feel, you feel better. So I'm not denying that I have feelings. I'm just saying that feelings are no longer the way that I discern whether or not God is with me, whether or not God's healing power is with me. I begin to start basing my life on who I was in Christ. And this totally, totally revolutionized my life with the Lord. 
You know, prior to this experience that I had with the Lord, I had been such an introvert that I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. To stand in front of people like I'm doing right now, this was absolutely impossible. This would have killed me. I'd have died before I'd have done something like this. I could not do it. But then the thing that changed my life was I found out who I was in Christ. See, the reason I was introverted and shy around people, some people think, well, that was just your personality. No, shyness, being an introvert, is an extreme manifestation of pride. It's self-centeredness. It's not arrogance, but it is self-centeredness, and that's the root of pride. You ought to get that little book that I gave away on self-centeredness, the root of all grief. And you know the reason that I was so shy was because I was so focused on me and compared to other people, I didn't have the same talents and abilities and I didn't stack up well and I was constantly fearful that I was going to say or do something that would make me look stupid. And so I was afraid to open up and as a result, I couldn't even talk to people. I'd have people say hi to me and it'd be, they'd be two blocks down the street before I'd say hi back. And what set me free was when I realized it wasn't based on my physical flesh and my performance, but in Christ, I was already a new creature and God Almighty loved me. And because God loved me and God accepted me, then I got to a place, who cares about you? I don't have to have your acceptance. I don't have to have your approval. I found out that God loves me. He's passionate about me. And I can promise you that if you are a timid, shy person, you're a person who's insecure and doesn't truly understand how much God loves you. I know some of you are taking what I'm saying as condemnation and criticism. I'm not. I'm just trying to tell you the truth to set you free. God didn't make you that way. The reason you are that way is because you are so fearful of people rejecting you and it's, and it's an indication that you don't really know how much God loves you. If you knew how much God loved you, to be like, who gives a rip about you? Amen. You know, I hope that you all enjoy tonight. I hope people get set free and I hope everything goes great. But you know what? If some of you come up and say, I didn't like a bit of it. I don't like you. It's not going to bless me. I'm not going to be excited about it, but it won't keep me awake tonight. Because you know what? Jesus loves me. And compared to Jesus, you're just nobody. Amen. I have become secure in who I am and I know that God loves me. God carries my picture in his wallet. God's got an eight by 10 of me on his mantle in heaven. I know that God loves me and because of that, it set me free. So you must begin to start worshiping God based on who you are in the spirit. See, some people might hear the things that I'm saying about how God loves me and they think, well, how could you say that, man? I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you dress. I don't like the way this and that. And you could be critical of that. But see, God isn't looking on my external. God doesn't look at you whether you're a male or a female, whether you're Canadian or American, whether you're black or white, whether you perform well or don't perform well. God looks at you in the spirit. And if you've been born again in the spirit, you are a completely brand new person. And you are identical to Jesus. And that's how God sees you. 
So when you come before God and you say, oh, God, I'm just so unworthy. I don't deserve anything. You know what? You're carnal. You're in the flesh. You aren't coming before him in spirit and in truth. You're approaching him based on your performance. And that's the reason you don't have any confidence. That's the reason you don't see your prayers answered. That's the reason you don't have any faith that things are going to happen is because you think that God is dealing with you based on your external, on your actions, on your thoughts. And that's not true. God is a spirit. And to really receive from God, you've got to approach him in spirit and in truth. You know, I've seen miracles happen. Peter and I were talking today about great miracles that have happened and, and all of the things that have gone on. We, we believe in miracles. I suspect that all of you in this place believe in miracles or you wouldn't be out here on a Friday night listening to me. This is not your nod to God crowd. Man, you're fanatics. Or you wouldn't be out here listening to me. You're either a fanatic or you were drugged here by a fanatic. (laughs) One of the two. And if I say, how many of you believe that God does miracles? God could raise people from the dead. Boy, look at this. And if somebody fell over dead right here, and if I said, well, praise God, we believe God's going to raise them from the dead. How many of you believe that? But you know where I could lose nearly every one of you? I'd say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for me. <laughs> now think about this. You were real excited talking about how God can do it. You might even be excited if I talk about how I believe God could do it. But when I say you come up here and pray for him, all of a sudden your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. What happened? What changed? Did God change? You know what changed? The fact that you are the one that's going to pray for him and you don't see yourself in Christ Jesus. You think God is going to use you based on your performance and most of us live with a constant sense of unworthiness and failure because we are carnal. We're looking on the external instead of who you are in Christ. And you think that because I'm a minister that somehow or another I live holier than you do. But if you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. (laughs) See, the problem is most of us don't, we have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are in Christ. We are approaching God in the flesh and thinking, God, I fasted, I'm praying, I'm doing the best I can. Will you use me now? God will never use you based on how good you are. If God gave you what you deserved, you'd go to hell. Same thing with me. There's not a one of us. God's never had anybody qualified working for Him yet. God doesn't relate to you based on your actions and your performance. He relates to you based on whether or not you've been born again. If you've been born again, you became a new creature. Old things have already passed away. All things are become new. And you are as righteous and truly holy and pure in your spirit as Jesus is. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. He says, And put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Notice the terminology. You were created righteous and holy. 
You aren't growing into this. You aren't in the process of becoming righteous and holy. You were created righteous and holy. The moment you got born again in your spirit, you were created righteous and truly holy, implying that there's false holiness. You know what false holiness is? That's your goodness. That's your righteousness. That's your performance. I'm sure out of this many people, there's people in here that think you're awesome. And that you are doing such a great job and you believe that, man, God is so privileged to have somebody like you on their team. And you know what? That's self-righteousness. And your self-righteousness is like a filthy rag. It stinks. You may be better than I am, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All of us have sinned, come short of the glory of God. None of you can trust God. Nobody can approach God on the basis of your own goodness. And that's the reason that you don't have boldness to be able to see the dead raised. Not because God doesn't have the power, but you doubt His willingness to use His power because you are approaching Him in the flesh instead of in spirit and in truth. In the spirit, you are righteous and truly holy. And you were created that way. The moment you got born again, you were as righteous and pure as you will ever be in eternity. Your spirit isn't isn't a baby that's growing. I hadn't got time to explain this, but a lot of people have the concept that, yeah, I'm born again, but I'm like a little babe and I've got to grow in Christ. It's your soul that grows in its knowledge and in you renewing your mind. But your spirit is born again, perfectly mature and complete. You already have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, that you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. It didn't say you could know all things or you could grow to know all things. In your spirit, you already know all things. That's not talking about your peanut brain. That's talking about your born again spirit. You have the mind of Christ. You know all things. It doesn't profit you until you begin to learn how to draw it out. And man, I got a lot of teaching on that. But you know, this is one of the things about speaking in tongues. A lot of people think speaking in tongues is something you do just to prove that you got the Holy Spirit. And then if you feel the presence of God, you speak in tongues let off a little steam. And that's what most people use speaking in tongues for. But the Bible says that when you speak in tongues, your spirit prays. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 13. Your spirit, or excuse me, that's verse 14. And then verse 13 says, if you pray in tongues, pray also that you interpret. And so your spirit is praying. The part of you that has the mind of Christ, that knows all things. You're speaking the hidden wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 14, 4. And so all you got to do is pray that you interpret and say, God, give me wisdom. What is my spirit praying? What is the right thing to do in this situation? Speaking in tongues will release the supernatural power of God in your life if you know what's going on. It's awesome. But see, in the spirit, you've already got all of this. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, that verse says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. It didn't say so are we going to be in the next world. It says, so are we in this world. Now, how do you understand that? Is there anybody in here who's arrogant enough to believe that you are exactly like Jesus in your physical body? Are you exactly like Jesus in your mind and in your emotions? 
I can guarantee you there's not a one of us in here that in the physical and in the soulish realm are exactly like Jesus. But this verse says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. By process of elimination, this has to be talking about your spirit. Your body's not perfect. Your soul's not perfect, but your little spirit is perfect. It's identical to Jesus. Do you think Jesus would approach problems the way that you do? Do you think that he would worry about finances the way that you do? Do you think he would worry about your health? Do you think he would worry about retirement, worry about the economy and all of these kind of things? If your mindset is different than Jesus, it's because you are in the flesh, in the carnal, instead of in the spirit. And the key to the Christian life is walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's not something weird or spooky where you go around with your hands folded like this and say glory to God. It's just walking in the spirit is talking about just walking in who you are in Christ, recognizing that you've got a born-again person that is identical to Jesus. You have the Spirit of Christ living on the inside of you. And if you were to really see that, then when the doctor tells you you're going to die, instead of falling apart like a $2 suitcase, (laughs) you'd respond by saying, well, doctor, you know, you're just doing your job. You're looking in the natural, but you don't understand. In Christ, I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of me. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living on the inside of you. If you really believe that, if you were in the spirit, then when the doctor tells you you're going to die, you wouldn't be overwhelmed with it. The reason you're overwhelmed is because you're carnal. You're approaching things only in the natural. We sing these songs like, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. That's a sorry song. It's a catchy tune, but the words of that song will kill you. I am not just a man. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. Amen. I am a new creature in Christ, and God is a spirit, and God's looking at me and you in the spirit. You don't like the way your flesh is. Some of you are fighting weight and fighting, you know, getting bald or getting ugly and just all kinds of things. And you deal with these things in the natural and you don't like this and you go around disappointed with yourself and then you search your mind and your emotions and you don't do things the way that you should. You get upset and this and that and you don't like things about yourself and because of that you think, how could God love me? I don't love myself. But the way God loves you is God doesn't look at your flesh. He doesn't look at your mind and your emotions. He's looking at you in the spirit. And if you've been born again, you became a brand new person. You are identical to Jesus. As Jesus is, that's exactly the way you are in your spirit. And God looks at you and says, perfect. Man, God looks at you and you're complete. I don't know what this does for you, but this just changed my life. This totally revolutionized my life because I had spent my whole life trying to improve this flesh and trying to improve the way that I function and the way that I think and all of these kind of things. And now I don't I have to struggle to do anything to make myself accepted to God. 
when I received Jesus as my Savior, He made me accepted in the Beloved. He changed my nature. He made me a new person. And now I have relationship with God based completely on who I am in the spirit and not who I am in the physical. And when you say something like that, a lot of people think, oh man, if you believe that, then you just quit trying to improve yourself and quit trying to change and quit trying to do this and boy, you'll go live in sin and all this stuff. It's exactly the opposite. The Bible says, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When you begin to see who you are in Christ and recognize the power and the love and the, the, the unity with Christ, when you recognize these things, it winds up reproducing itself in your actions. You'll live holier accidentally than you've ever lived on purpose before when you find out who you are in Christ. When you begin to change your identity. We've got an inferiority problem because we're basing ourselves. Most of you consider yourself to be this physical, natural person. But the real you is the spirit man. This physical body is going to die. It says we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when we get a glorified body, that that is in part is going to be done away with. Our body and our soul have yet to be changed. Those are going to be changed when we get a glorified body or when the Lord comes back. But did you know in your spirit right now, one third of your salvation is over. You are as perfect in your spirit as Jesus is. You are complete in your spirit as Jesus is. You don't need any of this. People pray and say, oh God, just make me righteous. You were already created, righteous and truly holy. When you are praying to say, oh God, make me righteous, you're carnal. You're talking about the outward man. And again, this outward man changes as a fruit, as a byproduct of relationship in the inward man. For you to pray and say, oh God, make me righteous, you ought to get born again. And then if you're born again, quit praying that God would make you righteous and instead start seeing that I'm already created righteous and holy. Start thanking God for how righteous and holy you are. And when you see yourself righteous, then you will start living righteously. It'll come as a byproduct. But people are praying and asking God to come down and be with them when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's all carnal. Oh God, go with us as we leave this place, which is all carnal because he's promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you. I've heard people before say, well, that prayer didn't get above your nose. And we have entire religious doctrines today about how that there are demonic powers over Toronto and they're blocking our prayers from getting up to God. And we got to do spiritual warfare and clear a hole so that our prayers can get through to God. How dumb can you get and still breathe? (laughs) Somebody's like, well, I believe that's true. You know, in the Old Testament, Daniel had the principalities and powers block his prayers and his messenger, but we don't live in the Old Covenant. Things have changed. You don't need your prayers to get above the roof or through the heavens. You don't need your prayers to get above your nose. You know why? Because God moved inside of us. God Almighty, His power is in the inside. This is why you bow your heads when you pray is so that you can say, Father, you look at God. 
God lives on the inside of you. This whole thing about my prayers aren't getting out to God. It's because you aren't worshiping God in spirit and in truth. You're worshiping God in the flesh. You didn't feel a goosebump go up and down your spine. And so God's not here. Most people cannot feel like they've contacted God, have any relationship with God if you don't feel something. I talked to a number of people and prayed with them tonight. And you know what? I, they prayed, but if you don't feel something, then people immediately think, well, God didn't move. But God is a spirit. God moves in the spiritual realm. Now, ultimately, it will affect the flesh. But, you know, Jesus spoke to a fig tree and cursed it and commanded it to die, Mark chapter 11. And it died immediately, but it took 24 hours for what happened at the roots to manifest itself in the physical realm. There is a time span in between the spiritual and the physical realm. It doesn't always manifest itself instantly. And people who are carnal just can't believe that God is doing anything if they can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel it. I'm telling you that if you are that way, you're carnal. And you've got to get to where you start looking in the spiritual realm. And we need to base our relationship on what the Word of God says about us instead of what you feel. You know, if you go up to the average person and say, how are you today? They're going to sit there and tell you how they, oh, I got this ache. The doctor said this. Or they'll tell you of their emotions and they'll tell you about all of these kind of things. But you know, the Bible says, if you were spiritually minded, if your identity was in Christ and you saw yourself based on who you are in Christ, if somebody says, how are you today? Well, then you ought to look in the mirror. You ought to hold this up and say, well, let me see, right? Oh, Ephesians 1, 3, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. If you ask me how I am, that's what I'm going to tell you. I'm blessed because I'm going by what the Word says. And I've had people come up before and say, oh, I know you say you're always blessed, but I want to know how you really are. And I tell them I'm really blessed. Amen. And I've had people come up and say, we know that there's things going on in your life. We know you got problems. And how come you don't, you know, tell us how you really feel? Because how I feel is not who I am. There is a part of me that cannot be felt. There's a part of you that can't be felt. It can't be seen. It can't be perceived with your little five senses. You have to go by faith. And you have to believe what God's Word says about you. And this is the victory in the Christian life, is renewing your mind, changing your identity, and finding out who you are. And you know, this is what God did to me through these verses. He showed me that I was a new person in Christ. And I've changed. You know, if you would have given me one of these tests back before this revelation, and if you would have had me fill it out about, you know, all of these uh, personality things... I guarantee you, I would have proven to be an introvert. I would have shown all of those kind of things. But now, you give me those tests, I've taken some of them. I am an extrovert to the max. I mean, 10 out of 10, I'm an extrovert. My whole personality has changed because I started basing it on who I am in Christ. In my physical self, I still have some of those tendencies to being an introvert. You know, before this meeting tonight, I was thinking about God. Is anybody going to come? I was thinking about these things. I still deal with some of these same things. I had people come up and talking about, you know, oh, it's so wonderful to have you here. And I'm thinking, what's the deal? Treat me like I'm a celebrity. I'm no different than anybody else. 
And you know what? I just have, I still have the natural tendencies that I have, but I've learned that I am a different person in Christ Jesus. And brothers and sisters, every one of you, every one of you now has the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you bodily is what the scripture says. If you could perceive that by faith, based on what the Word says, not based on some feeling, but just take what the Word says about you and begin to say, this is who I am. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Sickness has no dominion over me. I I talked to, I bet you I talked to 50 or 60 people before the service tonight and prayed with them. And many of those people were just so pathetic. And I'm not saying this to criticize you, but... But it's just like, I can't help it. I've got this and this and this. And I just want to say, why did you let this happen? And most people, they look at me, you don't have any control over this. I didn't go out and solicit these things. You may not have, you know, welcomed it and said, oh, devil, please give me cancer. You may not have done something like that. But when cancer came and knocked on your door... You just cave like, oh, I got cancer. And you go and you start asking other people for help. The Bible says you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You ought, to, you ought to find out who you are in Christ so that when you start having a pain or something contrary, instead of just embracing the thing and letting it come, you need to fight it like the plague that it is and say, this has no right in my body. If you saw yourself in Christ instead of just saying, well, I'm only human and after all this is cancer or this is arthritis or this is these problems, I have no ability over that. You ought to recognize that, man, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Why do you let the devil put headaches on you and put sickness and disease on you? Why do you let these things come? And some of you are thinking, well, I'm just a man or a woman. See, that's the problem. You think you're only human. That's not true. One third of you is wall to wall Holy Ghost. One third of you has the power and the life of God. And it's a simple majority. Your three parts, spirit, soul, and body. If you get your soul, your mind renewed to who you are, and you start thinking about who you are in Christ, and that's two against one. And you know what? Your physical body will manifest healing. But if you get your mind over here thinking, well, I'm only human and This is incurable and they can't heal this and nobody's ever been healed of this. And if you go to thinking that way, that's two against one. You stop the flow of God's spirit. If you could imagine like a pipe up here above my head and over on this side, it's plugged into the life of God. You got the life giving power of the Holy Spirit over here. Over here in the physical realm is where all your problems are. Your mind is like the valve. It's the faucet. And your mind can either open up and allow the spirit to flow into the physical and release the power of God, or your mind can shut off the flow of God so that you have this raising from the dead power in your spirit and inches away your physical body can have cancer and you can die of cancer having the raising from the dead power on the inside of you because it has to go through your mind to get to your physical body. The way you think is the way your life is going. And if you're thinking, well, I'm only human, and who am I, and what rights do I have, and all of this, well, then that's the reason that Satan is able to steamroll you and run over you and cause these problems in your life. If you were to find out who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, I guarantee you, you will not tolerate the stuff that you're tolerating. 
You know, when I first started believing for miracles, I was raised in a denomination that taught that those things passed away with the apostles. And I started reading in the Bible about God doing miracles and saying the same works that I do shall you do also. And I started reading these things. And I had this revelation that I was a new person in Christ. And I started believing for miracles. Nobody taught me to do it. I had been told that this passed away, that miracles don't happen today. But immediately when I saw who I was in Christ, knew that I had the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living on the inside of me, I just couldn't help it. I could not help it. When I saw who I was, I immediately started saying, if I've got this power, well, then why don't I use it? Why don't we see results? And I started praying. And we saw blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I saw all kinds of miracles happen before I knew that another person had seen a miracle in 2,000 years. I thought we were the very first person to ever see a miracle. But I'm saying, nobody taught me this. It wasn't something that I saw in other people and emulated. I just saw who I was in Christ. And when you get a revelation that this power is on the inside of you and you've got love and joy and peace, you'll quit putting up with depression. You'll quit doing this stuff. You know, on March the 4th, 2001, my youngest son died. And my oldest son called me and told me that he was dead. 4.15 in the morning, woke us up. And I told him, don't let anybody touch him till I get there. And uh, I said, the first report's not the last report. And Jamie and I got up out of bed and we started into town. It took us an hour and 15 minutes to get into town. And anyway, on the way, I started feeling grief and sorrow the same as anybody would if you heard that your son had died. But you know what? Because of this truth that I'm telling you, I knew that in my spirit was love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And I didn't like grief. And I didn't like sorrow. And I didn't like those emotions. I didn't deny that they exist. I believe, you know, I can feel anything that anybody else could feel, but I don't let feelings dominate me. I know that there's a part of me that goes beyond feelings. And so when I started feeling all of these negative things, I just decided I'm not having it. I know who I am in Christ, and I decided I'm going to praise God. And I just chose to start thanking God and worshiping God and praising God. And I just started thanking Him out loud as we were driving in and praising God for how awesome He is. And did you know when I did that, I took a step of faith. I didn't feel it. I just did it because of what the spiritual mirror showed me was on the inside. But I did it. And when I did that, it's like I opened up this fountain and faith just came up out of me. And God began to start flowing through me. And I mean, I started laughing. And I told Jamie, this is going to be the most awesome miracle we've ever seen. Jamie thought I'd lost it. (laughs) But I just knew that I knew that I knew that my son was going to come back from the dead. And he'd been dead for nearly five hours. Over four hours he had been dead and without oxygen. And he was in a morgue, stripped naked had a toe tag on on in in a cooler in a morgue and he sat up and started talking. And God restored him and he was brought back to life. 
And I can tell you that the reason that happened is because of the things I've been talking about. I did not feel faith. I didn't feel joy. I didn't feel like fighting. I didn't feel like resisting. I felt like giving in and sucking my thumb spiritually and just talking about how bad it is. And you know what? I just... I am convinced that if I hadn't known what I've shared with you tonight and if I would have just gone by my physical, natural feelings and not have stood on who I was in Christ, my son would be dead. Uh, We had a granddaughter that was born a year later that wouldn't have been born if I hadn't have done this. And I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, I know some of you may think that I'm critical and I'm being hard on you and I'm being insensitive to how you feel But it's time for us to grow up and pull our thumb out of our mouth and quit indulging our flesh and start recognizing that in the Spirit, you've already got everything that you need. You've already got the power of God. And instead of just approaching God or me or your pastor or whoever pathetically as if, oh God, would you please do something because I can do nothing. I have people come and say, would you please agree with me? And I say, no, I won't agree with you. Because you're, you're saying that you have no power, that you are powerless, that this sickness is bigger than you. I'm not going to agree with you. If I agree with you, you're going to die. I'm not going to agree with that. But this is how most people approach God. Oh God, we are nothing. We have nothing. Would you please do something? If you're doing that, you're carnal. You either need to be born again, or if you're already born again, you're carnal. You ought to start standing in who you are in Christ and say, Father, thank you that even though the doctor says this, even though my body feels this way, that is not what I believe. I believe what your word says. And in the spirit, man, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I am not submitting to this thing. I am resisting the devil and he will flee from me. I have people come up all the time and say, well, I've resisted the devil and he didn't flee. Well, the Bible says you resist the devil and he does flee. So who am I going to believe, you or the Bible? The word resist doesn't mean to say, dear God, please get the devil off my case. That's not resisting. The word resist is an action word. It means to get angry. Did you know God gave you the capacity to get angry? Some of you are thinking, oh, no, that's not God. The way you use it may not be God. But every one of us have a temper. You know what? God gave you a temper so that you could hate that which is evil. So that you could hate sickness. So that you could hate disease. So that you could hate poverty. So that you could hate depression. And yet many of us have embraced these things. You do not have to give in to that. I tell you, if you would resist, actively fight against the devil, he will flee from you. If he hadn't fled from you, then you haven't actively fought against the devil. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Amen. And the reason most people are passive is because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't see who they are. And so they feel, what's the use? And they have to run to the doctor, to the banker, to the preacher, to somebody else to resist for them because you just don't have it. I'm telling you, you've got everything that you need in Christ. What you don't have is a revelation of who you are in Christ. And that's what we need. And I tell you, this will change your life. This has totally, totally, totally changed my life. And this is what I share. Everything I teach is basically this truth just applied to sickness, to 
finances to marriage to whatever. But I tell you, if you begin to understand who you are in Christ, that He's already done it and everything, it changes everything. This will cause your, your knowledge of God's love for you to just abound because you'll quit basing it on your actions and you'll base it on who you are in Christ and it will allow you to let God love you and to let God promote you and bless you. Man, this will change everything. God loves you more than you ever have imagined. And to me, this is what unlocked the love of God to me is when I found out who I was in Christ, that it was my spirit that was changed. And I started worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And it totally changed everything. I'm praying that this would would transform your life. And you know, there's so much more I'd love to share, but the heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. (laughs) So I'm going to have to let you go. But let me, let me say this. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus personally, hopefully this helped you tonight to understand that true Christianity isn't just going to church or signing a card or getting water baptized. True Christianity is getting a brand new spirit. And the way that happens, Jesus said that if you would, conf- or Paul said it in uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. You get born again. You receive a new nature. And see, some people have been confused on this. And so they think that a Christian is just believing Christian things versus a Hindu believing Hindu things or a Muslim believing Muslim things. No, it's an experience with God. And you literally become a brand new creature. If there's somebody here who has never had your nature changed, you haven't been born again then that's what true salvation is. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage would make you a car. If you're a car, you ought to go get in a garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, you ought to go to church. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You have to be born again. You have to be born from above and have God come and live on the inside of you. If you've never done this, if all you've done is acknowledge that God exists and maybe even acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, but if you've never made a commitment to Him as your Lord, turned your life over to Him and received this salvation, you need to do that tonight. You must be born again. And then once you get born again, the Lord told His disciples, don't go anywhere, don't tell anybody, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. And he said, you shall receive this power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a separate experience from salvation. You have a relationship with the Holy Spirit when you get born again. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is a different thing. And you begin to speak in tongues. And there's so much that is released through that. I know that some people are probably shocked to find out that I speak in tongues because I don't spit and scream and yell and I don't have a a napkin wiping my fevered brow and I'm not the typical Pentecostal and some of you may have come to these meetings not realizing that I spoke in tongues, but I do. And I tell you what, it is a powerful experience and you need it. So you may have come here under false pretenses, but we got you now and (laughs) amen. Everybody else knows this is one of those tongue talker meetings and so they're going to talk about you. You might as well get something for coming, amen. Somebody's saying, do you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? 
No, I don't believe you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. Matter of fact, you can get there quicker if you don't have the Holy Spirit <laughs> because you aren't going to have any power to be able to overcome. You'll die of something along the way. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but why do you want to? Somebody says, well, does everybody speak in tongues? Well, not everybody does, but everybody can. It's like when you get a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. <laughs> the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes speaking in tongues. But I'm not speaking in tongues right now. I'm speaking in English. I can start and stop. The Holy Spirit doesn't force you to speak in tongues. He inspires you. And you have to cooperate. He won't make anybody speak in tongues. But I tell you, you need it. It's my personal experience that speaking in tongues was one of the most life-transforming things that I've ever done. And I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues every day. It is important. You need that. Is there anybody in here who needs one or both of those things? Either you need to be born again and make Jesus your Lord and or you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you and help you to receive here. Man, there's hands all over. I heard that there was a group of Baptists that came just to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come down here in the front and we're going to pray for you and help you to receive. Come up, come forward right now. Get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Praise the Lord. Just crowd down here at the front. I believe we're going to have a lot of people come forward and so we need you to squeeze in. Thank you, Jesus. Just scoot up here as close as you can. We're going to have a lot of people come forward. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, that'd be great. Hallelujah. You know what? If you can't make it down here, just get as close as you can. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I've got a book that I'm going to give every one of you. I want you to have a full understanding of what's happening. So if you can, come forward. I know that you could receive this stain back there, but we want to give each one of you a book that'll help you. We've got some room over here on the sides. If you could scoot down onto the sides would be good. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Isn't this awesome? I believe you're never going to be the same. Hallelujah. You know, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You can't receive this gift of speaking in tongues until you know for sure that you're born again. And so I want to make sure that every person that's down here has already made Jesus your Lord and been born again because that's a necessity. That's the most important thing. If you aren't absolutely sure that you've been born again, I need to pray with you first. 
And I know that there's a lot of people that think, well, I'm a good person and I go to church and I believe in God. The Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You got to do more than just believe that God exists and hope that you're in right relationship. It says you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. That's more than just saying those words. It's making a commitment. And it's also, you can't fulfill it perfectly. It's not promising that you'll never make a mistake. You can't fulfill that. But you are making a commitment that I'm turning my life over. I want you to be my Lord. You'll fail, but God will have forgiveness. But you have to be willing to make Him the Lord of your life. If you've never done that, you need to pray and you need to be born again. Let me ask you this. If you were to die right now and stand before God, and if He says, what makes you worthy? How would you respond? If you pointed to anything that you did and said, well, I'm a good person. I go to church. I do this, this, this. You'd go straight to hell because you can't save yourself. The only answer that will get you accepted with God is to say, it's not what I've done. It's what Jesus did. I made Him my Lord and I was born again. If you would have pointed to yourself instead of to God, then you need to be born again. You need to put your faith completely in Jesus and His goodness, not yours. So is there anybody down here who would just raise your hand and say, I need to first of all pray and make sure that Jesus is my Lord. Maybe you aren't sure. You want to make sure. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Praise the Lord. Man, lots of people. Lots of people. I didn't count everybody, but that's probably 20, 30 people or more. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And this isn't magic. It's not like if you just repeat these words, automatically it works. The Bible says you have to believe it in your heart. But if you will say something similar to what I'm saying and mean it in your heart, then you'll be born again. Isn't that a good deal? Jesus has already died and forgiven your sins. It's not a matter of will He forgive you. It's a matter of will you commit yourself to Him being Lord. You do that and I guarantee you, you are born again. So let's everybody, I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this with me, not just those who raise their hand. But let's everybody say this. Say, Father, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. If you believe that when you prayed, did you know you are now a new creature in Christ Jesus? If you were a man before, you're still a man. If you were a woman, you're still a woman. Your body didn't change. Your soul hasn't changed. But in the spirit, you are right now a brand new person identical with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Welcome to the family. Praise the Lord. God bless you. And now the Bible says that every person who's made Jesus their Lord, you are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. That means that God created you to place His Holy Spirit. He created you to be a dwelling place. So we don't have to beg God. Some people teach that you got to be holy and get all sin out of your life before the Holy Spirit will come in. He won't fill anything but a holy vessel. I tell you, if you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The reason God is going to give you the Holy Spirit is to give you power so that you can start overcoming. Don't let some sense of unworthiness stop you. If you were born again in your spirit, you are righteous and holy and God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. So we aren't going to beg. We're just going to open up the doors of these temples and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in and say, Holy Spirit, I want your power. I want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is just one of them. But we're just going to open up our hearts. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're just going to open up our hearts and welcome the Holy Spirit. He won't force himself on you. And I'm going to just release the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then after I do that, I want you to quit asking and just thank God that his word's true. He said that if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He promised you he'd give. So after you ask, you need to believe that he kept his word and that God has given you the Holy Spirit. So after I pray for you, then I want you to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Just by faith. Don't go by how you feel. It's in the spirit realm. And you just by faith start thanking him. And then I'm going to ask you to start speaking in tongues. I'm going to ask those that already have the baptism and speak in tongues to start praying in tongues with us when I do this. And then when we start praying in tongues, the Bible says when you speak in tongues, you're giving thanks well. You're giving thanks straight out of your spirit. So I'm going to ask you to start speaking in tongues with us. And I've got a book that I'll give everybody. And so uh, I'll explain this in more detail. But one thing I want to mention, the number one thing that hinders people from speaking in tongues is they think that the Lord is going to force you to speak in tongues. He's going to take possession of you and just make you speak in tongues. That's not how it works. It's very similar to when I spoke tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't take my mouth and make it talk. If I'd have just opened up my mouth and said, oh God, use me, and then just wait on God to make me talk, nothing would have come out. He doesn't force me. I spoke. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my sense of humor. It was me talking, but I believe it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the way that you speak in tongues. You have to speak. It says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You have to speak and by faith believe it's the Holy Spirit. And at first, it'll sound totally stupid. It'll be strange. But I promise you, as you go on and do this, the Holy Spirit will confirm to you that He's inspiring it. It's a powerful, powerful gift. And this book will give you a lot more explanation. But if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. Isn't that good? And this will change your life. It is awesome. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. And I thank you that every person now has received salvation. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we open up the doors of our temples. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our life. We want your power. 
We don't want to live under our own steam and power. We want your anointing. We want you to live through us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. Come and take dwelling place. Come and take possession of us. Live through us. Fill us with your power. We want this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we ask and receive right now in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to begin to thank God that He gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. Let's just begin to thank God. The Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. So let's lift our hands. Just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. Father, we surrender and we welcome and receive the Holy Spirit. Those of you that speak in tongues already, let's just begin to worship the Lord right now and pray in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, join in with us right now. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and talk. You can't speak in tongues in a known language at the same time. You're going to have to quit speaking in a known language. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for filling us. Thank you for your power flowing through all of these people. Thank you, Jesus, for giving the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving this gift of speaking in tongues. We believe that our spirit is praying to you without the hindrances of our mind right now. Just be bold and talk. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear me saying, but your tongue will be different than mine. It'll be unique to you. Every person's tongue is unique to them. But it'll get you to talking, and once you start talking, don't quit. Just keep talking. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for filling every one of us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your blessing. Father, I believe that these people will never be the same. Never the same. Thank you for your power flowing through us in supernatural ways. We agree and receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. He promised that He would. You know, when I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been told that this was of the devil. And I had so many fears and things that it just hindered me from getting loose and speaking by faith. But you know, I kept pursuing it. 
And I finally received this gift of speaking in tongues. Paul heard me on the radio. Back how long ago was that? 1978. He heard me talking about this. He was a Baptist. And he got down in his living room floor and prayed and asked the Lord to fill him with the Holy Spirit. And he didn't speak in tongues immediately at that moment. But later that night, he woke up in the middle of the night just speaking in tongues. Scared Patsy. She thought he had lost his mind. But you know what? God gave me the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues, but I just had all of these doctrinal issues that kept me from doing it. And I've written a book about this. It talks about what true salvation is. So if you prayed for salvation, it will explain that. And it also explains the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. It'll tell you about all of the problems that that I've encountered with people speaking in tongues, and it'll help you to go ahead and do this. So uh, where are the people that have the books? Here's Justin right here has got books. Who else has books? Where's the people with the books? Hold your hand up. Oh, it's just the two of you? Mercy. How are we going to do this? I tell you what. uh, So uh, we need to get you guys to where people can see you. Why don't you come up here on the stage? Come up here on the stage. Those of you that have the books. Bring the books up here. And I want to ask every one of you before you leave to make sure that you get one of these books because what's happened to you tonight is more important than what you realize. I can promise you that. None of you have a full revelation of what happened. Some of you may be really blessed and just feel the joy of the Lord, but whether you feel it or not, you got more than what you realize. And you need to understand. You need to get this teaching. So make sure that you get a book. As soon as you get a book, you can go back and be seated, but I'd like to give every one of you a free book so that you can uh, get the maximum benefit out of what happened to you tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. Once you receive a book, you can go back to your seat. For the rest of you, I am going to be praying here in just a moment for miracles, for healings, and I know that many of you came expecting a miracle, so I encourage you to please stay We're going to see God perform miracles, but we need to go ahead and make sure that every person here gets a book if they can. Praise the Lord. If we run out of books, I don't know how many we have, but we have probably well over a hundred. If we run out, I've got a card that you can send in and it'll get you a free book. They'll ship it to you immediately. So every one of you is going to get a book. Don't worry about it. We are going to make sure that everyone gets one. Man, isn't this great to see so many people? I believe this is going to make a difference in Canada. Awesome. Here, let me go ahead and minister to people here. Thank you. Just place it right there. Thank you, Jesus. You know, these are good problems to have. But praise God, next time we come back, we'll have a bigger place. We'll have more people. We'll have more books but we sure appreciate you coming and participating. I believe this is going to change people's lives. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to minister to people here. If you need a miracle in your life, I believe that Jesus is here to meet that need. And let me just say a couple of things here. 
that I know many people think that they have to have me lay hands on them. And I'm not opposed to doing that. I love to pray with people, but it's not necessary. And also, I just cannot minister to every person. There's just too many people here for me to minister to every single one of you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, call out things that God leads me to do. But I want you to look to Jesus personally for your miracle. And if you'll do that, we'll see God touch your life here today. The Lord did this. He told people, he says, he just sent people and he said, you know, go and believe. And as they went, they were healed. He said, speak the word only and my servants shall be healed. And Jesus just spoke the word and people were healed. I believe Jesus is the one that does the healing, not me. You do not have to have me lay hands on you. And even though I say this, there's lots of people that will come up and they'll say, but you've got to lay hands on me. I'm not going to do it because I want you to put your faith in the Lord tonight. I just cannot minister to every person individually. So here's what I would like to do. I want to ask you that if you need a physical healing in your body, then I want you to stand right where you are. If you're already standing down here, then I want you to raise your hand so that I can see you're one that's believing God for a miracle. And we're going to pray, and I believe that God's going to touch you right where you are. Amen? And I want you to expect this. If you're one of those that just prays a prayer and then you wait to see or feel if something happens, that's carnal. That's what I was teaching against tonight. God loves you, but I want you to become spiritual. I want you to, the scripture says that by his stripes we were healed. It says if any two of us agree on earth is touching anything, it shall be done for us. So we are going to act on this. It says you have to believe that you receive when you pray. I want you to believe for this miracle to happen in your body right now. I want you to talk to yourself and expect something to happen. Don't just make this a prayer that you pray like so many others that have gotten no results. I want you to expect something. And whether you feel it right now or not, you know that it's done and your physical body will respond. Amen? Father, I thank you and we just praise you that you sent your son Jesus and by his stripes we were healed. That you have already done this and that you've placed this raising from the dead power on the inside of every one of us. Every person with their hand up praying for healing right now already has the supernatural raising from the dead power of Jesus on the inside of them. And now instead of just going by how we feel, In our flesh, we go by faith and we stand on the Word of God that we have this power. We speak to our mountains. We speak to these problems and we command you problems to leave these people right now. Sickness and disease, you be gone now. Eyes, you be healed. Ears, you open now in the name of Jesus. Hearts, you be healed. Father, we loose your power right now. Thank you for the anointing of God flowing. And here's people who are bent over, who are straightening up, straighten up right now, and you'll be able to stay that way. Here's the healing power of God setting you free from infirmity. Heart problems are being healed right now. Hearts, you be healed in Jesus' name. Command these hearts to beat properly in the name of Jesus. 
Man, gallbladders are being healed. Somebody here's had a severe gallbladder problem. Here's the healing power of God. Kidney stones are being healed in Jesus' name. People with varicose veins are being healed right now in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for your healing power flowing from head to toe. Thank you for backs being healed, just all kinds of things. I don't have to call it out. Right now, the healing power of God is flowing in here. And whatever it is that's wrong with you, I want you to believe that God's touching you right now. Put your hand on that part of the body. Speak to it. Command the sickness, the pain to be gone. Command the healing to come. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you loose us. Let go of God's people now in the name of Jesus. Loose them and let them go. In Jesus' name. Father, we believe for your healing power flowing in here. Boy, pain is leaving people from all kinds of things. If you've got pain in your body, right here's the anointing of God releasing you and setting you free from pain now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, Father, we receive all of these miracles. Hallelujah. Sinuses are being opened. Allergies are gone right now. Skin problems, psoriasis are gone now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We receive your healing power. Holy Spirit, thank you for flowing through here and transforming people's lives. Lameness is leaving. Knee problems are being healed right now. People with problems in your feet are being healed. Father, we just thank you. Thank you so much for ministering and touching people's lives. We give you the glory. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's praise God like you believe you're healed. You believe it's already done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you in here have already seen or felt a difference? Like I taught, you don't have to feel it right now. God has done it, but you already have seen a manifestation. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and wave at me. Man, isn't that awesome? Man, that's hundreds of people have already seen the pain go. And even if you haven't felt a difference in your body, I believe it's just like that fig tree. That sickness is cursed at its roots. It's dead. And your physical body will manifest it. But that ought to encourage you to see how many people have already seen the touch of God. And that same power that touched these people and changed them, that same power touched every one of you. Don't let go of your confession. You stand on the Word of God and you continue to believe until you see a full manifestation of the things of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So, Father, we give you all of the glory. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for these truths that I talked about tonight, the ones that changed my life. And I believe that this is changing people's lives here tonight. That, Father, the Holy Spirit is giving us understanding of it, that we'll never let go of this, that we'll never get over it. Father, we believe 
that you have already done this and we are just releasing what is already ours in Christ. Thank you for all the people that were born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, healed, delivered. We just thank you that everything we need has been done through Jesus. And so we give you the praise and the honor and thank you, Jesus, for loving us and giving your life for us. We receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's give the Lord one last shout and praise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.